This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. This is Jesse. Good morning, Jesse. Good morning, Scott. How's it going up there in Canada? Oh, wait, mm-hmm. I'm not supposed to use locations. Now, oh, no. now they know where to find you. Actually, I prefer British Columbia anyways. Uh, okay. <laughs> Is that uh, its own country? Um, I'm, I've always lived in British Columbia, so I, mm. I, you know, except for like a summer or something. So, I, so I don't, you know, <laughs> not a separatist or anything. But. Ah, okay. You're not for that. No. Well, that's good. All right, I got a couple of new arrivals for us. Okay. Should, we, should we jump right in? Sure, go for okay, it. Okay, the first one is by Patricia A. McKillop, um, and the title is Odd Magic. Um, the first word is O-D and magic. Okay. Um, so, Fantasy, read by Gabrielle DeCure. Um, I'll go ahead and uh, read the back here. Brendan Vetch has a gift. With an innate sense he cannot explain to himself or describe to others, he is able to connect to the agricultural world, nurturing gardens to flourish instinctively, knowing the healing properties each plant and herb has to offer. But Brendan's gift isolates him from his community, until the day he receives a personal invitation from the wizard Odd. She needs a gardener for her school in the great city of Kellior, where every potential wizard must be trained to serve the kingdom of Numis. For decades, the rulers of Numis have controlled the school, believing they can contain the power within it. They punish any wizard who dares defy the law, but unknown to the reigning monarchy is the power possessed by the school's new gardener, a power even Brendan isn't fully aware of, and which is the true reason why Odd recruited him. Dun dun! There it is. Mm-hmm. It does sound like odd <coughs> magic in a way. Mm-hmm. It's you know garden, yeah. green thumb sort of magic. Sure. <laughs> you bet. Okay, that's. Uh, I remember. Uh, didn't she write Riddle Master of Head? Did you? Uh, I've heard that? her name before, but I don't. I don't. Yeah. Can't really recall what it would go with. Sure. Well, that's a new one from uh, Blackstone Audio. That's the first. Uh, audiobook by this author that I am aware of, but I know okay. she, I know she's written a lot. Okay, and also from Blackstone is a new Charles DeLint novel read by Kate Redding, so the reading is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, Gabrielle DeCure is good too. Um, Dreams Underfoot is what this one's called. Good title. Um, welcome to Newford, to the music clubs, the waterfront, and the alleyways where ancient myths and magic spill into the modern world. Uh, Gimmons live in abandoned cars, and Skells tra- traverse the tunnels below, while mermaids swim in the gray harbor waters and fill the cold night with their song. Come meet Jilly, painting wonders in the rough streets, and Jordy, playing fiddle while he dreams of a ghost, and the angel of Grasso Street gathering the fay and the wild and the poor and the lost. Dreams Underfoot is a must-read book not only for fans of urban fantasy, but for all who seek magic in everyday life. And that's it. So it sounds like an urban fantasy from Charles DeLint, which is his specialty. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. 
Sounds good. Another Blackstone title, right? Another Blackstone, yep. Yep, both those arrived this week. Very nice. Yeah. I saw them actually there on Audible as well. Oh, uh-huh. Um, and I, um, I spotted something on Audible that I thought was really wor- noteworthy. It's not a new recent arrival at this point, but it's certainly a new release. Uh-huh. Um, Pebble in the Sky by Isaac Asimov. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. That's, it says it's, uh, his first novel, which I guess could be true because he, he's written so many, uh, he must have had a first. Yeah. But it feels like, uh, he's had an infinite number of books, so... <laughs> finding out which one is first might be difficult so <laughs> I'm not yeah. 100% sure that's true we'll have to break out the archaeologists to figure out which one's really first huh? yeah piece now, together um, history it says it's from BBC Audiobooks America but um, I haven't spotted it on their their uh, new releases yet so maybe it's a little early mm-hmm. um, but it's a uh, uh, you know, January, end of January release for 2009, uh, read by Robert Fass, uh, eight hours, and uh, here's this summary. Uh, one moment, Joseph Schwartz is happily retired tailor in Chicago, 1949. The next, he's a helpless stranger on an Earth uh, during the heyday of the First Galactic Empire. Earth, as he soon learns, is a backwater, just a pebble in the sky, despised by all the other 200 million planets of the empire because its people dare to claim it is the original home of man and earth is poor with the great areas of radioactivity ruining much of its soil so poor that everyone is sentenced to death at the age of 60 joseph joseph swartz is 62 it says uh this is isaac asimov's first full novel Full of wonders and ideas, the book that launched the novels of the Galactic Empire, culminating in the Foundation series. Wow! So, yeah, it does sound um, a little bit similar to. Well, one mm-hmm. aspect of it is the uh, you know where's Earth from yeah. the Foundation series. I uh, for some reason I I don't recall reading this um, mm-hmm. uh, in paper book before. I do have a copy, um, but I, for some reason I thought I had read it. I guess I haven't. Huh. doesn't sound that familiar. Uh, but it does... The plot sort of sounds familiar. It sounds like an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, uh, well, I you know, think they... Uh, forced they drew, retirement. They drew on Asimov some, for sure. Clearly. On, uh, in Star Trek. <laughs> Foundation, Federation, there you go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Not that different. Um, oh. The other one that uh, I... When I discovered it was on Audible, I, I had to make a recent arrival was uh, when I, I talked about it on a previous podcast, the um, Michael Chabon the story called uh, Gentleman of the Road. Uh-huh. You remember me talking about that yes, one? Yes, I do, yep. Um, the alternate title for which was Jews with Swords, um, and it's a like a novel of adventure. I'm not sure how much fantasy elements there are in it, but um, it just sounds very good. Um sort of an obscure histor- historical or pseudo-historical uh, setting. Mm-hmm. So I'll be telling you more about that one as as I get into it. Oh, great. Yeah. So great. what have you been listening to? I'm actually listening to uh, non-science fiction right now. <laughs> it's, oh, yes? Uh, yeah, it's a book by James Lee Burke. Um, my wife got me into this guy, uh, James Lee Burke. He writes mysteries uh, set in uh, New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if you'd call this noir or not, you know. So you just let me know. But 
Um, he, he wrote a series of books uh, about a guy named Dave Robichaux. And um, the thing that kind of sets James Lee Burke apart is uh, his writing style is very poetic. And um, it's, it's very pleasant to listen to, very pleasant to read. And even though he's talking about the most uh, violent things, <laughs> you know, just like... Um, Oh, what's the guy's name who, uh, the director that does the ultra-violent movies, but yet it's almost poetry on the screen and everybody watches him? Mm. He did, uh, uh, oh, shoot. Pulp Fiction. Oh, Quentin Tarantino? Yeah. I can compare him to that in, in just the way that, uh, there's a poeticness to the, the presentation of it. Yeah, um, but Dave Dave Robichaux is is a guy. He's got a lot of problems of, of his own, and uh, anyway, this is the third novel I've read by him, and it's called uh, In the Electric Mist with the Confederate Dead. Okay, um, oh, you just you gave a hint as to whether it's noir or not. Mm-hmm. Um, it can't be a series if it's noir. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> so the, the reason being, no. yeah, the, the reason no. being. Um, the guy would be dead by the end of the novel, or um, he, he, his life would be so ruined as to be unable to uh, continue, uh, even if he's not dead. You know, his, basically, there's no way f- for uh, your protagonist to live uh. Uh, or continue. How about that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it's possible that you could have a noir series, but I just can't picture how. <laughs> <laughs> no clue how. Right. Yeah, but, you know, almost guaranteed. Gotcha. Uh, um, but it's it's excellent. And um, we found out uh, before I started the book, well, after I started the book, that um, there's a movie coming out called In the Electric Mist. And um, it's going to be out this month, but I haven't seen any ads for it or anything, and it's got Tommy Lee Jones in it. But IMDb says that it's coming out this month. Um, there's been one other movie made of James Lee Burke's Dave Robichaux, and it was called Heaven's Prisoners. And uh, it was okay. by, uh, Alec Baldwin was in it. Yeah, I vaguely remember. Yeah. I, I may have read a James Lee Burke not that many years ago, uh, uh-huh. or listened to an audiobook. Um, I, I, I know, I'm somewhat familiar with it, yeah. Sort of, s- s- the South is his setting. Uh-huh, Right. Yeah, and he wrote a, another series of books. Um, I can't remember what the protagonist's name is, but they're set in Montana. So <clears throat> I think it's kind of the same universe, you know, and I know that the books cross because uh, one of the previous books of the Dave Robichaux show I read was in Montana as well. He had to drive up to Montana. <laughs> so anyway. Um, but yeah, it's got a great cast, this this movie, but uh, it says it's coming out on February 20th, 2009, and I haven't seen a single thing or a trailer or or anything, but it's got... Oh, there's a trailer on IMDb. I'll have to take a look at that later. Mm-hmm. But we went to a movie last night, me and my wife. What'd you say? Uh, Taken, uh, starring Liam Neeson. Yeah, I, I've heard a couple things about that. Yeah, it... Uh, I, I don't know if they would be good things. <laughs> oh, really? It, it wasn't. It wasn't a, a terrible movie, but it's it's one of those movies where you wish they had uh, gone through an editor one more time. The script. Not well edited. 
Uh, no, the, the editing of the film was fine, but the editing of the script, um, the script was no good. There was just uh, obvious flaws and, and uh, things that they left in there that, um, you know, they make you groan a little bit. You're like, come on. <laughs> so it wasn't well, a t- it wasn't a terrible movie, but the script needed uh, needed another pass. Well, what I um, what I was reading about it was saying um, that it would be a good series for people who like uh, the Parker series. Um, let's see. Well, I I, um, I don't know about that. Well, I guess I don't know enough about. Parker. Yeah, you haven't read it, so uh, but, this um, is what this is what it says here. Um, uh, critic James Ward thinks you might enjoy Taken, and then it says in the end of Taken, uh, the movie is the equivalent of a Pulp Fiction novel, something that Mickey Ro- Mickey Spillane or Richard Stark would have written. It's tough, fast-paced, and mo- and most important, entertaining. Um, and when I watched the trailer, um, I thought there's something really compelling about uh, uh, Liam Neeson's character in it. Um, and then I thought the plot was um, so- something that feels very tired and old. Mm-hmm. And so it was like a good character with an old, tired uh, plot. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, he's, he, his, his motivation is like... Um, seemed like what was driving the trailer rather than you know what we what we really care about is is what he's doing and yet the plot was a creaky way of getting that on the screen okay you know, so yeah. the setup the setup sure. just yeah and and, and if you've watched the trailer um you've you've heard Liam Neeson's best lines yeah um yeah so yeah I can't disagree with that Okay. Um, it is quick pace. The action scenes are good. Um, yeah, it was an edge of your seat kind of a thing. But um, when the character spoke, it was like, oh boy. Maybe if there was no talking. <laughs> okay. So, May- you know, maybe it should be very, uh, very poor dialogue, and um, there were a couple of glaring things that, if I was, you know, the director or whatever, I would have immediately fixed. Got it. Yep. But that it's pulpy, yeah, it sure is. Yeah, I, I was reading this on the the Violent World of Parker blog, which is a new uh, blog version of an old website uh-huh. um, that's back up and running. Uh, I, I've been the admin for the Yahoo group for a few years, mm-hmm. um, but it wasn't started by me. But I'm a big fan of uh, this this website and series. Um, so anything that gets mentioned on here is like, oh, this sounds good. I'll have to look, check it out. So I've been looking at the trailer and trying to convince myself to go to see the movie, even though, uh, the, yeah, the plot looked a little bit creaky, even though the character looked good. Mm-hmm. So maybe your criticism is going to keep me from going to it. Oh, see, I've ruined it for everyone. I don't, I don't know that's true. You may have saved us some <laughs> trouble. Oh. Uh. Yeah, I, I find you can't trust the IMDb ratings until you know at least ten years after the uh, <laughs> after the movie comes out. Even then, not always. Right. Hey, uh, Christine Catherine Rush, her latest retrieval artist book is um, book number seven, Duplicate Effort, mm-hmm. is uh, on Audible. 
it's fantastic. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so this is kind of a well, it's a mystery. It's a science fiction mystery series that would make an excellent television series, in my opinion. Okay. Um, cops on the moon. <laughs> so uh, aliens yep. and uh, all kinds of good stuff going on. So. I, I've only read the first uh, novella, and uh, I think I started listening to the um, the one they gave away free mm-hmm. uh, for a very limited time. Yeah. And I've got I've got number one in my queue. Um, I've read it in print. Um, okay. I've read the first three in print, and then uh, haven't kept up. I keep buying them, but I haven't <laughs> read them yet. It's like can't keep up. She comes out with about one a year. Gotcha. Uh, but it's a good series. It's you know, it's something that I definitely want to read. But now I get a good chance because it's on audio. I can do it while I'm driving. You know, uh, Rick Jackson um, sent me an email earlier this week telling me about the sale that Audio Audible's having for short stories. Uh huh. Did you see that? I did. Yes. Yeah. So they um, they uh, chose one of his his um, Wonder Audio titles for the. For uh, the first week, uh, a ninety-nine cent uh, cheapo buy, which is really good. Yeah. Uh, I guess you have to. You wouldn't use a credit on that, obviously. Right, right. But if you're an Audible user and you've got ninety-nine cents ready, mm-hmm. I'd get that for sure. Uh, Coming attraction by Fritz Leiber's his, his title. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. Is it? Um, it's not a rotating thing. It's um, these. Four. It, it is actually. It's okay. four, four in the, this week, and then four next week, and okay. the week after another four. Great. The other thing I I did this week, um, I think might be uh, interesting, um, was I made a uh, one-click browser uh, of uh, instantly downloadable audiobook titles. Uh-huh. I uh, called it LibriVox plus SFFO Audio equals Instant iTunes Audiobook. Okay. So basically, it's a, a page on the uh, on the features page. It's a sub page on the features page that allows you to browse through um, the covers of um, LibriVox releases, mm-hmm. and then you can just say, "Oh, that one looks interesting," just by the cover <laughs> and or the title, who's on it, who's uh, who wrote it, uh, who read it, uh-huh. and instantly audio, uh, uh, automatically download the um, the first chapter. Oh, cool! In iTunes, so it'll go to your iPod immediately. But you have to have iTunes, or it won't work. Okay. But I, I put right forty titles, uh, a little over forty titles in there. Neat. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, good I uh, covers. Wow. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of. Thinking it looks pretty good, actually. Yeah, it, it does. It's it's very nice. Not very organized, though. <laughs> it's just <laughs> sort of random covers. You bet. But, you know, it's like browsing the bookshelves. Yep, yep. I have a feeling our uh, blind audience will not be too uh, functional with this, just because there's no text. Mm-hmm. Except in, uh, you know, the pictures are labeled, but that you might as well just skip this page if you're blind I would guess right but yeah I've tried it out and it seems to work pretty good too yeah so run your mouse over it you find one you like click it and then it's automatically downloading into your iPod yeah hey I read a, an article last week and I wish I could remember where it was from 
but I can't. But uh, it was it was titled uh, "Here Comes the Ebook Revolution." Okay. Um, so you know all all of the promise and and uh, talk that we've had. This this person who wrote the article believes that now we're re- actually on the edge of it, and. Um, Amazon this week is going to make two announcements, and this fellow said that um, the first announcement is the Kindle Part 2, or the Kindle mm-hmm. Version 2, and then the second announcement is that Kindle books are going to be available for iPhones. So, um, anyway, what do you what do you think about that? Do you think, uh, I, I, well, guess, I, I guess, what's the extent of the revolution going to be? You know, I think about myself, and um, you know, I I've grown to really like the book part of the book, and and I don't know that that would ever go away. But you know, if you're if you're a reader, if you buy hardcover books, and you buy a Kindle for three hundred dollars, that Kindle actually pays for itself. Um, you could calculate how many books, but a brand new uh, a brand new hardcover would cost nine ninety nine on your Kindle. You know, and twenty-five bucks on in print. Well, the hardcover doesn't cost you nine ninety-nine. What you're getting is the text. Exactly. Yeah, but you, you understand what I mean. Yeah. I do. Um, I I don't think the Kindle's going to make everyone suddenly stop buying paper books, uh, no matter how good it is, because it's a um, it's a tool for accessing something rather than the thing itself. That's the big difference between an ebook and a regular book. Is an ebook is data. Uh, a Kindle is not data. It's just a object that lets you get it. So, like um, Wikipedia has made the encyclopedia redundant. Um, nobody goes around, uh, you know, carrying a set of encyclopedias from place to place anymore. Sure. Um, but if if the uh, Kindle uses DRM, which I'm guessing it does. Um, it's not going to be universally accepted like Wikipedia is. True. Yep. Um, yeah. Another aspect of this is um, PC Magazine, which I've subscribed to for a long time, has gone 100% digital now. <laughs> so no more hard copies in the mail. Which is, you know, I. I, I don't like that because what they've done is basically given you a way to look at a magazine online. It's it's you know the magazine with all the ads, all the layouts, the same and stuff, but it's just online now. <coughs> you know. Yeah, it's uh, kind of you know maybe it's a situation where you've got the theater uh, versus um, movies. People still go to the theater and watch uh, movies, uh, to watch plays, but it's not as uh, popular as it was before uh, before movies got invented. Uh-huh. So it might be the case that digital PDF magazines will be around for, you know, 100 yeah. years more. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, I like this, the idea, but i got to tell you, it's not very convenient to have pages when... What you really want is uh, instant access. That's mm-hmm. what makes web pages good. Is you know you have instant access. Sure. You don't need to flip through digitally. Um, 
I mean, uh, just using a PDF uh, is is less convenient for a lot of things. It's good for printing out. Uh-huh. And it's nice that it's searchable. Yeah, but and that's, that's something that um, is the biggest bonus for digital that I can think of is that it's searchable. Just think, just think of it this way. Have audiobooks destroyed paper books? No. Oh, no. No, no, they haven't. So um, what about, digital books are not going to destroy paper books. Do you think, um, I mean, Audible, uh, with the downloadable audiobook, that has really changed some things there, though. It's, it's like the perfect uh, medium. The, the Internet delivery is a perfect medium for audiobooks. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I don't I don't hang out at the at the bookstore audiobook section as much as I used to. Mm-hmm. I always go over there. <laughs> I do too, see, but I don't I don't out. I don't scour the shelves uh, the way I used to because now I can look up look it up online and and you know even even when I am getting the hard copy, I can look it up online and if they don't have it on the shelf, I can now order it. Uh, you know, even to the local bookstore by finding the ISBN, and and I'm not I'm not as worried about uh, you know checking the shelves to make sure I'm not missing something. I do actually do it anyways, mm-hmm. um, and occasionally I turn up something I wasn't expecting. Um, the one thing about having it done this way is, if you don't know what you're looking for, you're not going to find it. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas when you go to the shelf, you know, you just go through the whole shelf and you find something there that you weren't expecting to see. You're going to learn yeah. something. I wonder if we if we look at music stores and as a model of what's going to happen to bookstores, albeit slower. Um, you know, music stores still exist, but, you know, I, I actually haven't been into a store to buy music for years now. And uh, I used to not not be a regular customer, but when somebody would come out with an album that I wanted, you know, that's where I'd go to get it. But now mm-hmm. I just go to iTunes. Well, I think Walmart has something to do with that too. Uh-huh. You know, Walmart's just killed music stores as well. It's not sure. just just online. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. iTunes and and that. Yeah, it's certainly there's something there, but I don't think. Um, the essential character of, of books and music are not the same. Mm-hmm. You know, the people who uh, are passionate about music are not passionate in the same way as people who are passionate about books. Uh-huh. And there's a thousand ways to be passionate about music, and there's a million ways to be passionate about books. Um, so there's never going to be complete, you know, overlap. Any model that we're following, you know, for one industry will never match exactly for another. So, just don't worry too much about it, and uh, you know, just remember that any predictions people make are not <laughs> are not that important. Um, oh, I realize that, and I'm not worried about it. It's just an interesting thing. A lot of um, people seem to be worried about it. You know, well, they, the publishing industry is probably worried about it. Um, I don't know. I, mean, I I think that might just be that's what you know newspapers are writing about because yeah, they have to fill yeah. pages. I posted a review of uh, The Book of Lies by Brad Meltzer. Oh, good. Yeah. That's the one about Superman and uh, Adam and Eve, or not Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel and Superman. It's kind of a very uh, strange juxtaposition. I don't think there's going to ever be a novel that 
puts those two things together mm-hmm. uh, again. <laughs> so this has got to be the uh, the make or break story for this particular collection of ideas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, good. Yep. Yep, I see it there. That's I'm almost finished uh, listening to Phantom, so I'm going to do a review of that too shortly, the Dean Koontz novel. Oh, okay. Um, what I've been reading about it, uh, about the novel itself, is saying uh, that it was rewritten um, later on in his career. It was re- originally written in 83 or something like that, or published in 83. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when they republished it, I guess in the 90s or 2000s, they uh, let him go in there and add some details, like uh, cell phones and stuff, to I guess, to update it. Uh-huh. And uh, I thought that was... Um, that's really cheesy. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I don't think I like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I revisionism. revisionism. Yeah, that's no good. But yeah. but why don't you like it? That's the real question. Why don't I like it? What's wrong with fixing your novel? <laughs> well, you know, Stephen King did that one time with The Stand. Right. Um, but you know his reasoning was when when they originally published the stand, they only allowed him 800 pages or so when it was a 1,200 page book or something like that. Right. And so when he became uh, powerful enough to get that published like he wanted, he did go in and not only add that stuff back, but he revised it to add some things as well to make it up to date. And. Uh, I didn't mind that, but that was, that was like a complete, um, I don't know, it wasn't only a revision, it was it was a restoration, pretty much, and then he just uh, updated it to the way he wanted it for that time, you know, um, so yeah. I didn't mind that, <coughs> Well, but at the my same understanding time, I, I don't think the time machine would be the time machine if we went ahead and, well, people <laughs> rewrite the time machine all the time, right? Yeah, but that's um, a different story. They just don't call it the Time Machine by H.G. Wells. Yeah, that's that's a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's the uh, Star Wars um, uh, updating, you know, updating the original Star Wars movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe that's why I don't like it. But I got to tell you, um, it, you can make a case. You can make a case. One of the things um, that he said about it was that uh, Dean Kinstead was that. Uh, he made a little mistake in uh, one scene early mm-hmm. on. He he had a had a scene where there was, was supposed to be spooky, right? Somebody somebody has um, discharged their handgun in in a room, um, and there are shell casings on the ground, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but no bullets. So ooh, what happened? So later on, uh, we, we have some people come and find this scene. And they describe the scene as, you know, the dead man's on the ground, and he's discharged his gun, and uh, his revolver is uh, uh, been fully discharged, right? So basically, the problem is, is you can't have an automatic uh, and then change to a revolver. Mm-hmm. So it's a little technical problem. He for- he sort of forgot that, you know, revolvers don't discharge their bullets automatically. Right. Right. Um, so, in that case, you almost say, okay, well, you can fix that. It's just a little tiny thing. But he is rewriting the scene. It's not like fixing a typo in the, you know, 
Mm-hmm. They spelled the wrong, H-T-E or something like that. It's not the case of a typesetting error. This is a writing error. And I, I'm thinking it's a slippery slope. If you if you let them fix that, then why not let them fix something like the fact that there should be a line in there explaining why they can't use cell phones. Uh-huh. Right? Right. Right. And so I'm thinking they should have just left it. Uh, I didn't have a problem with updating the Star Wars movie, so... No? I really didn't. You know, why not? <laughs> because it turned out crappy? Well, let's say it turned out good. <laughs> and let's I, say it I, did. Yeah, let's say it did. <laughs> if it well, turned out good, are you against that? You I know, don't know. I think that the, the case can be made. Um, I liked Blade Runner perfectly well before they revised it and I guess improved it by taking out the narration. Cut. Yeah. There's been several cuts. Oh. But I was fine with it the first time. It, when they went back and changed it, uh made that the official version. Uh-huh. I wasn't horrified. But that that first version exists somewhere, doesn't it? No. no. I mean it does, but it's not the accessible version. I see. But the I mean, I can't imagine there is ever going to be a law that requires authors not to tamper with their art mm-hmm. after it's been released to the public. I can't ever imagine that would law would exist. But I can certainly imagine feeling that there should be that law. <laughs> um, so it's like tacky or distasteful or whatever. Uh, so you'd want, Stop you'd doing want it. Uh, if he if he rewrote. You know, Star Wars. You'd, you'd want it to be Star Wars version two or something. I'd, I, wouldn't <coughs> wanna... want, I wouldn't want George Lucas touching the original. Mm-hmm. Just leave it alone. You know, the the subsequent Star Wars movies or prequels or whatever they are, they do not ruin the original movie. Uh-huh. Um, they might cheapen it. They might make it crappier or, or whatever. They don't ruin the original movie. But if he goes back and then edits things out and then adds things in, switches things around, and then, uh, you know, makes the other ones unavailable, which is basically what happened in, at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, that is disturbing. Hmm. I feel a disturbance in the Force. <laughs> <laughs> I feel a disturbance in the art. <laughs> Well, I didn't have a problem with it. I, I you know, I, when I heard he was doing that, it wasn't like, you know, I wasn't... It's like, it's his thing. I didn't, I wasn't concerned about it. And, uh, you know... It's I not don't, his I don't, thing. I don't, it's not his thing. Once it's not he's his released thing. it, it's ours. <laughs> it's ours. He gets yes. the credit, but it's ours. You know, it's like, here's a nice gift. And he gives it to us. And then he says, wait, 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 I want to fix it. No, you can't do that, buddy. You can't... You, there's no give-you-backs. <laughs> Once you put it out there, it's out. Oh. For good or ill. If people don't like it, too bad. What about... So, is the Star Trek putting in the special effects no good as well? I haven't seen any of those. What do you mean? Uh, oh, the revised... <coughs> the revised uh, yeah, series. it's no good. No good. No good. I mean, it, it improves the, the picture, but does it improve the experience? Um, I'm doubting it, but I haven't seen it. I have. I've seen it, and mm-hmm. it, 
it it feels like uh, just like the regular Star Wars ones. Even when it's done well, it's done wrong because mm-hmm. the scale's wrong. So you'll see, for example, in a mock time, they have uh, you know. Uh, Spock battling Kirk or whatever it is uh, on on uh, Vulcan mm-hmm. um, and you've got a tiny little arena which is the size of a set and then in the bridging sequences that they add there's you know uh, the scale of the movies where you see that little uh, arena where they're having that little fight uh-huh. is actually uh, atop a giant pillar of uh, earth or Vulcan or whatever, oh. and so you say, "Wow, the scale's huge! They're making it more like a movie." And then I say, "You know, this is not the same thing as I watched when I originally watched it. It's, mm-hmm. It feels wrong, and the scale's wrong. It doesn't match." And in the same way that Star Wars is not improved by adding in little robots flying around every three seconds, it already had its robots, and they didn't fly around; they walked around mm-hmm. or zipped around, and they didn't hit each other. And we didn't have to have any, you know, jokes of little robots hitting each other. Yeah, the, the one, the one glaring moment in the original Star Wars movie that uh, stuck out to me as totally wrong was the when they put Jabba the Hutt in there with that scene with Han Solo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's another. And good that, that does make me wince. As I'm it like, should. Oh, that's no good. <laughs> I know a lot of people were upset with the changing it so that Greedo's the guy who shoots first uh-huh. as well. I mean, you know, he's changing the morality of the story to fit his so kid that, better that, or something. Okay, maybe I didn't understand. That was actually a change. Oh, yeah, so the original story, right? The original story, Han Solo. Han Solo's... Han Solo owes, owes somebody some money. The, right. the debt collector comes and says, give that money or you're in trouble. And instead of... Instead of paying up, what's Han Solo do? He shoots him uh-huh. and then runs off. Well, in the revised version, Greedo shoots at Han first, and then Han shoots in response, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it's not like a uh, unjustified attack, unjustified murder. Hmm. <laughs> well, I, I, that changes the nature of what Han Solo is. Han Solo is supposed to be a scoundrel, and a guy runs out on his debts. But we like him anyways. And now in the revised version, he's a uh, just a regular businessman defending himself uh, from a bank that's too uh, aggressive. Huh. All right, that I wasn't aware of. Sure. They change. I mean, it's digitally changed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this is not like, oh, I edited it wrong the first day, and I did it. Uh, <laughs> put it in the wrong order. No, it's he's changed his morality. And now he wants to retroactively fix it. Huh. Is it feel? You know what it feels like? It feels like um, editing your own memories. You say, "I've always been a supporter of animal rights," <laughs> even though what you really were before was a guy who ate a lot of a lot of fish and a guy who ate a lot of dog. <laughs> like, wait a second, maybe you didn't eat a lot of dog. Maybe you ate a lot of cows. Oh man, very nice. That's what I got. <laughs> um, I wanted to also uh, tell tell you that um, Tony Smith has been worried about Escape Pod coming back. I, worry, I think he's been worried and a little bit uh, excited because that would have 
he's like the premier audio uh, oh. audio short story market out there. Mm-hmm. But uh, Escape Pod just came back with a uh, story after a couple of weeks, or almost a month, actually. Um, and if you might be interested because it's a Ken Scholl's story. Oh, yeah. I like him. Um, have we got Lamentation already coming? Uh, Lamentation is here and gone. Yeah. It's, oh, it's that signed. It's a signed out, yep. Who's got it? Julie. Okay. Yep. I guess so. she can have one. <laughs> one. You bet. And then she has to send it back to me, okay? <laughs> oh, I didn't know you were interested in that one. N- I am now. <laughs> oh, you are now because... Uh, now that Julie's got <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how funny. Um, yeah, um, the story sounds good, though. It's uh, it's alternate history. Uh, th- I'm talking about the, the escape pod story. Uh-huh. It's alternate history. Um, <clears throat> uh, Hitler goes to Paris. Hitler and goes to Paris. Wasn't that uh, the subject of the producers? Um, no, that was springtime for Hitler. Ah, <laughs> uh, springtime for Hitler. Okay. Um, yeah, looks great. Hey, it's read by Alex Wilson. Yeah. Telltale Weekly. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's alternate history. So uh, uh, Hitler actually did go to Paris, but that was after he conquered it. In this case, I think he's just going there as a as a tourist. Oh, very nice. Yeah, definitely want to hear that one. So what was the story? Why did uh, why did um, Escape Pod go away for a little bit? Um, I I haven't finished listening to the story. I started listening to it last night. Uh-huh. Uh, the beginning intro, Steve Lee did not explain why he was absent. He did deny that he was dead, though. Ah, okay. So I'm is, not dead! He is very much alive. Well, I don't know. It could be all fake. You know, I've been carrying around an iPhone for a while. Right. And uh, it's terrific. It's a great, great device. Um, But I don't listen to my audio on it. And uh, if there is a drawback to the iPhone, it is battery life, I've found. Mm Because if you you use it um, constantly, you know, with apps and stuff, you'll get a a day maybe out of your battery. so you need to charge it, you know, midday somewhere if you're going to use it to listen to your audio all day. Um, it's going to need to be charged up. Okay. So anyway, so why so don't I, you I use continue. it as an audiobook player? I don't use it as an audiobook player because I've got my iPod. and um, It's inferior? No, my iPod lasts a good long time. I um, gotcha. But my iPhone, if I was using it as an audiobook player, I can't see that I'd get to use it as my phone because <laughs> I need it to uh, I need it to actually operate as my phone you know what I mean yeah that makes sense I think that if I did that it would uh, it, it would be no good but if I ever update my iPod you know someday it'll fail I think I'd probably just go ahead and get another of the same model or probably you know the the bigger one I wouldn't get an iPod touch I would go ahead and get the biggest iPod I could get. Don't get the biggest iPod. Get the Nano. I've, you know, I had to well, replace my. Uh, I've got a 30 gig iPod, which is just the iPod, and I love it. Uh, but it's too big. It's too big. it's not too big. <laughs> it is too, too big. big for what? You can't put it in your shirt pocket. Yes, I can. You can. It's too bulky, <laughs> too heavy. No, I no, I have no problem with it. I like it. 
Mm, I disagree. Mm. I've seen both, mm-hmm. and um, I actually prefer the the previous generation. I'm going to write up a review of my uh, new iPod. It's got all sorts of functions I don't need, like uh, shake. Uh, <laughs> like, hey, I want to mix up my audiobook. All right, I'll shake it. <laughs> I don't like the way this the author. So yeah, what, what have you got? You've Put got these a, chapters in these order. You've got a new Nano? I, I got a uh, fifth generation Nano, I think. Okay. Yeah. Because my fourth generation died. Huh. After after digging myself out of some snow. Oh. Uh, and it was raining. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was working that evening, and then the next day it was dead. So I think yeah. it was it was just, you know, heavy, heavy rain uh, while it's in my pocket. Gotcha. And I wasn't thinking about the fact that it's in my pocket. Okay. Yeah, if I was going to buy another iPod right now, I'd buy an iPod Classic. I think they're dying, man. Uh, I would I would assume that they are, you know, that they're going to go ahead and, and push them out. So what, you can get 16 gigabytes on your Nano? Yep. Yeah, mine's got 30, and it's a pretty good size. I don't do much video on it at all. But hard drives, the hard drive models are more prone to failure. Yeah, I'm sure. I haven't had any problems with mine, though. I believe they also have uh, more battery problems because that. Yeah, and I know that that was hard. true. That was true originally, but I have no battery problems either. Mine lasts a good long you're, time. I've you're got, lucky. I've got a really good model, I guess. I guess so. Um, it says here 250 bucks for 120 gigs. Yeah, and they used to have a 180, so the the 180 is not shown here. So maybe they but are. But you don't really need to have that much. I mean, no, you really like don't. You, you really don't. You I, you probably never even filled your 30 gigs with uh, audiobooks, have you? I could, but what's the point? No, but you haven't. Is my point. No, I have not. Yeah, so my 8 one was constantly getting full, but my 16 is not. Okay. It's it's hovering at about 75 percent at m- most. Mm-hmm. I. I I assume it will get filled at some point, but I, I'm thinking, you know, anything under 100 gigabytes is going to be uh, uh, well, decent for the foreseeable future. Yeah, all the music I own takes uh, almost 10 gigs, and it's neat having that with me all the time, you know, for when I feel like listening to that. And then uh, the rest is audiobooks in mine, and I, it usually hovers at around 20 gigs. That's usually where I'm sitting. Not that that couldn't be adjusted to 16 really easily. It's you know, there's, I carry around a lot of stuff I don't really need to be carrying around. So, I um, there's but, no, I have no problem with having the extra. It's just for the size, you know, you could fit three nanos inside the size of a classic. Yep, you could. Yep, but I still like it. I wonder if they will discontinue it. I, I'm betting I, 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 I would not. Or I, at I, least I looked at the iPod it. touches and haven't owned an iPhone. I don't think I'd want an iPod touch. I would want a. It's a it's a different device. I mean, the uh, idea is there is to uh, give you some internet, and I like that. Uh-huh. I like that possibility, but um, it's just not used for the same thing. Sure. Yeah. And it, yeah, because I have the iPhone. It's the iPhone is the only device of that size that has usable internet on it that I've seen ever. <laughs> uh, that, it's very, it's very usable, it's very convenient, it works, it's readable. Um, how they did it was just perfect. They did a good job. I'm hearing some, some uh, click clacking like you're a train. Yes, I'm zipping around here on the internet. 
no, 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 like like a keyboard popping up and down rather than a mm. uh, just a clicking of a mouse. Okay, I haven't touched just the like keyboard. Just like a train there. <laughs> no touchy. Oh, I just heard it. That? That's it right that's there, my, yeah. That's my mouse. That's the loudest mouse on the planet. <laughs> well, it's I'm picking it up and, uh, yeah. Like that. <laughs> really noisy. All right. I apologize. I'm, I, I'm sure my mouse. I see you and all our listeners. And Here, to can you hear makers, my mouse? The maker of my mouse. Listen. And to Microsoft. Listen, and listen. And to the internet, the people who make hey, it. Hey, listen. To everyone. Can you hear mine? Nope. I want to definitely want the cutie when it comes out uh, from BBC Audio on March 1st. The what? Um, the cutie, the the Donald Westlake oh. uh, oh, re-release yes, yes. of a, uh-huh. a novel. Right. Um, BBC Audiobooks America is promoting um, Westlake stuff. It's got him in the author spot, spotlight section now that he's deceased, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, they've got The Road to Ruin, Somebody Owes Me Money, Watch Your Back, 361, Baby Would I Lie, The Cutie, and The Fugitive Pigeon all uh, in their list. Uh, wow. It says 361 is is coming soon, even though it's already available. So I think what they mean is coming soon to digital download. Uh, they seem to be switching over to digital download uh, rather than uh, focusing on CD releases. Uh-huh. And I think that's just because... Um, They've never really tried retail. They've been a library publisher. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chivers and uh, BBC Audio are not really, you know, on the shelves that I've seen. Um, they also have the Fugitive Pigeon coming too, which uh, is um, one I've heard before. Uh-huh. Um, Nick Sullivan's the narrator, and uh, I have a cassette version of that. Um, it's another one of those. Uh, nephew novels mm-hmm. where the main character is a um, uh, man on the run from uh, from a situation he didn't create but uh, is nevertheless stuck in uh. so very in- entertaining novels uh, I just noticed that um, there's a new uh uh, tie into the old Dakota Ring uh, uh, series, you know the series called um, Blackjack Justice. Uh-huh. There's a new Blackjack Justice uh, story, and it's a comic. There's huh. an online comic, you know, like a web comic of Blackjack Justice. It's not like a strip. It's like the regular comic book size, full pages. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's scripted by uh, um, Greg Taylor. Wow. Um, but written, uh, written drawn, uh, it's like based on a script, like a just regular radio drama script. He's he's done, and then somebody's gone and drawn it, and they're about uh, nine pages in. Uh huh. So um, well, that's neat. I I think that's really cool, and I th- also think it's kind of funny because if you were going to adapt um, uh, Decoder Ring theater story, I would think you would have gone for the more comic booky one, which was uh, uh, the Red Panda. Red mm-hmm. Panda is more comic booky than uh, Blackjack Justice, which is like a um, detective story, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Red Panda is like a superhero story, and is so the guy who ch- I guess the guy who 
came up with the idea to do it as a comic must have said, oh, let's go the other way. Huh. Yes. Interesting. Um, what I also like about it is it's very dialogue-driven. Uh, it's a dialogue-driven story, so um, you see a lot of uh, good dialogue in there, and that's something I find lacking in a lot of comics. Mm-hmm. It's uh, they've got nice art, and the story is sort of crappy, and the and the dialogue's hideous. Gotcha. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm really glad to see that the art's great, and the uh, and the script is great. Makes cool. makes a good match. I, I the way I'm gonna have to read it though, I'm gonna have to wait for the first issue to be finished. Uh, because I just the serial nature it takes too long for me to um, it, I have to reacquaint myself with what happened last last panel. You know, it's uh-huh. once a week for a page. The, hmm. the pace is not. Uh, I mean, I guess that's that's fast paced for uh, comics, mm-hmm. but once a month is the way I'm used to it. Not once a week for a page. Huh? You're not still reading comics, are you? No, I'm not. You poor sucker. <laughs> I've got some uh, graphic novels. <laughs> well, that's the uh, same. A Sandman I really like. Well, there's a new Sandman out. Yeah, and I started to follow the uh, the Buffy comics, but then I, I kind of drifted away on those. Why is that? Because the store I was getting them from closed. Oh, that, that would I do never, that. <laughs> yeah, and then I never found another source. Yeah, there's a um, a new Neil Neil Gaiman Sandman book out called Brief Lives. Mm-hmm. I believe that's that's the new one. Um, and I was I was saying to the guy at my local comic book store, I was saying, um, "What's the story here?" Uh, I thought Neil Gaiman was done with Sandman, and he said, "Well, don't you remember they did a he he did a um, a text version of a Sandman story a while ago? Uh, this is them adapting that story." So uh, it was a, you know, it didn't go from comic book to text. It went from text to comic book. Um, wow. So I'm going to have to check that one out. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, I still have a lot of Sandman left to read. I saw those at the bookstore. I saw a really nice set. I don't know if it was called Absolute Sandman, but they were nice. It was. Uh, they redid bucks. the covers or something. Yeah, yeah. it was 100 bucks a hundred bucks a book, and they were... Oh, essential yeah, like was, something like that. Maybe, yeah. It was two volumes in a slip-cased hardcover for 100 bucks each. Pricey, but uh, very pretty. Yeah, yep. Um, I, I can see people spending that very easily. Um, sure. Neil Gaiman's an amazing, amazing, amazing writer. He is. Uh, there's a recent uh, interview with him uh, on... I just posted it last night, actually. Um... Uh, on CBC Radio, they have a little interview with him about. Uh, it's mostly about, I guess, promoting the new movie, mm-hmm. uh, the Coraline movie. Yeah. Uh, but they talked a little bit about the Newberry win, and then what I I thought was good was uh, they sort of went a little deeper than they usually do in the interviews with him about um, why it's okay for kids to get scared. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talked about how the publisher was saying this is way too scary for kids. Mm-hmm. And, and then he said, well, you think it's way too scary for kids? How about this? You, you try it out on your own kids and see if they're freaked out. And, of course, yeah. they tried it. And he said, no, they loved it. And they weren't, they weren't freaked out. Um, and then, <laughs> and then um, Neil was saying uh, he got an email the other day uh, from 
a friend of his or someone emailed him and says, I'm going to go take my kid to see the Coraline movie. Um, will she be scared? Right? Seems mm-hmm. like a perfectly reasonable question. And then Neil Gaiman says, I don't know. Um, it's kind of like you asking me, uh, I'm going to make pizza for tomorrow night. Will my child like it? <laughs> you know, it's not the same thing. Every Everybody goes with different things. They've got a different kid. Got a different uh, set of attitudes, and you know everybody's different. So uh, you're you're saying it's too scary for kids. What you mean is you think it's too scary for your kid. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely want to go see it. You take my kids to it. <laughs> it's too scary, Scott. No, you know I read the book. Um, yeah. Terrific, terrific book. But yeah, it was spooky. It was spooky. You know, uh, I read, opinion, yeah. read they were going to make a um, uh, graveyard book movie as well. Oh, I hope so. I think yeah. that would be better. I, I like Coraline, but I, I like so graveyard good. book even better. I love that book. That's a good one. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.